Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Local New York Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale, and this week my guest is Nate Kester, head brewer out at Arondacoy Beer Company. Uh, well, I'm excited to put this out. This represents not just a cool interview and, and, and conversation I had with Nate about how he got into beer and, and his progression from being a home brewer to now you know, being the head brewer here at, at Arondacoy Beer Company, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous space. Um, I can confidently say, you know, this is probably top five, my favorite breweries I've been to just for the space alone. Um, you know, I was here when they were closed, so I'd love to, I need to get back out there and, and check it out when, you know, when it's, when it's really hopping. But uh, it's just a gorgeous space. It's, it's like, it's, I don't know. It's small. It's not tiny. It's got a lot of outdoor seating, got a great indoor seating space, um, like three different distinct rooms for indoor seating. And it's just gorgeous. Everything's like uh, when I first walked in and Nate was showing me like the back, like where they're where they do the brewing and and everything's just tight and organized. And, and it's just it's a really awesome space. And uh, so I had a great time talking with them. I'm excited to put this out. It, it's it really represents for me this podcast. It's like my first, you know, journey into Rochester. We recorded this podcast over a month ago, but I've been heading out to Rochester once a week. One day a week, I go out there and just check out a few different places that I haven't been before. And I'm just trying to expand the content that Eat Local New York puts out because we are based here in Syracuse and and, you know, this is where my studio is and where I live. So 95% of the content that goes out to the world is from Syracuse. So I'm trying to change that and get out into different cities in New York as much as possible. So I've got a trip planned down to New York City. Hopefully it's going to happen by the end of this month and, and just hitting up Rochester as much as I can. Uh, Rochester is, you know, it's such an interesting market because they're only in, you know, it's only a little over an hour away from us. Uh, but they're still so far ahead of Syracuse in the food scene. Um, it could just be because it's a larger city, so it attracts more people and more people from different parts of the country. But, you know, Rochester, it, their food scene is definitely light years ahead of ours. I mean, we did have Flybird, and so I, I will give them credit where they're due. And I'm not saying, I'm not using this as the example just because I own the restaurant, but. Syracuse hasn't really had like a quote unquote gourmet fried chicken restaurant. And um, I point that out because Buffalo's had it for a few years. Rochester's had it for a few years. And I just went out there actually a couple weeks ago and checked them out. Their spot, Chicken Out, is um, really like the quintessential Instagram, social media esque fried chicken sandwich spot. And, uh, they've had it for a few years doing the pop-up thing and building this massive following and, and Syracuse, we've really just kind of just gotten it again. SoFly does it, but not really. Uh, they don't really just, they don't put a whole hell of a lot of effort. It's not like its own thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They do a great job. I've had the chicken sandwich. It's really delicious. I'd put it in the top five, top four in Syracuse without a doubt. Um, but yeah, so us opening three, one fried has really been like kind of the first thing in Syracuse. And so, but it's a trend that's been in Rochester for the past three, two, three years. So it's just interesting that a, a city that's so close to us can be so far ahead of the, of the, um, uh, you know, food scene. And yeah, 
Uh, so they've got some great breweries out there. And uh, our, uh, next week, you'll hear the podcast that I did with Andy from Swiftwater Brewing and uh, that Nate connected me to. So anyways, great time talking with Nate here on the podcast. And, you know, one thing that we talked about is is kind of that progression of uh, you're a home brewer into now he's a head brewer at a brewery. He's, you know, been there for a few years. And, uh, you know, I'm sure in 10 years, Nate's going to look back at, at his career as a brewer, at his, um, at his time as a brewer, and look at some of his beers that he's made. And, and he'll have learned more. He'll have grown more. I'm not saying, I'm not knocking any of the beers today because I haven't had a lot of them, but the few that I've had, have, I've loved. But I'm just saying that like, as you progress in your career and you get more time under your belt, you learn more, you grow, you learn more effective ways to do things or little tweaks to make or whatever. And um, we were talking about that in the podcast, and I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about it a lot and just in terms of what's, what is Eat Local going to look like in five years? You know, I've been doing the podcast now for four, and I, I feel more confident talking with people and, and interviewing them and trying to make it less about myself and my own stories and make it more about learning who this person is that's sitting across from me. And I think I'm getting better at it, but in five years, I know it's going to be light years ahead of where it is today. And, um, and so what I'm thinking in my head is, okay, I know this to be true. I know that time, that consistently doing something over time will make me better at it, Right. So in five years, if I'm going to be, let's say, an expert at podcasting, what are the things, like, what's that going to look like? And then what are those things that I could start doing today to speed that process up? Um, I don't know. I just, I think about that a lot. Like, I think it's important to get that vision for whatever you're doing, whether it's a restaurant you're running or, you know, beer that you're making, in my case, a podcast I'm doing. I think, I think about that a lot with like content that I make, these new cocktail videos that we're putting out. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, who are the people that do this really well? Like a YouTuber, for example. Take a YouTuber who's got a million subscribers. If you look at their video today versus the video when they started, you know, nine years ago or however long ago, those videos look completely different. So, and I've always said that I think that there's a natural progression. Like you always have to start somewhere and then you get somewhere right and like that progression is is pretty pretty drastic um and so i'm think, saying to myself okay well what does it look like in five years to be the expert doing that and and you know what examples can i go look at what other pod in my case what other podcasters can i look at what equipment do they use how do they edit what do they sound like what do they look like you know how do they talk to their guests so I'm thinking to myself, all right, how can I speed that process up? I don't know. Maybe that was just pointless rambling. I'm just trying to think of, you know, ways to get better at everything I'm doing and how to speed up the process to get better. Well, I'm going to stop babbling and get into this week's podcast. But before that, I just want to say I announced it today on my Facebook. I'm excited. My friend Nick Ford and I have, have just started a new company, Salt City Events, and we're throwing some, uh, we, you know, we started because we started doing some bar crawls this past year. And, uh, you know, we're getting more into the bar crawl scene uh, game next year, especially. But we've got two planned for this year. One of them we just announced our booze and booze bar crawl happening on October 22nd. It's a bar crawl sponsored by Jim Beam and Raise the Bar by Vera House. And we just couldn't be more excited for it. 
crawling around five different bars in Syracuse and ending with an after party at the Salt City Bar. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we also announced an event. It's a barrel-aged beer and cheese pairing at Buried Acorn, their new location at 900 East Fayette Street. And this is a partnership with my with Salt City Events, with Buried Acorn, and with the Curd, new, Curd Nerd. And uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. So you can check out our website, saltcity.events, to get tickets, learn more about what we're doing, and just stay connected to us. I also just want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor for our cocktail content, Pascal's Wines and Liquors in Fayetteville and Pascal's Liquors in Liverpool. Uh, just a great local family doing a great job in the liquor store game. And a big shout-out to them for sponsoring us. I go there now to buy everything. They have an awesome uh, membership program where you go in there and you sign up for this membership and you get a point for every dollar you spend, which then every quarter helps you get um, – Special, you know, when they get their allocations of rare and special bottles, you get called up first, depending on how many points you have. So it's a great little program to make sure that the uh, loyal customers get some of the unique spirits they bring in. So uh, check them out. Absolutely love working with them, and I love going there to buy all my spirits. Well, without further ado, here is my conversation with Nate Kester. All right, so what beer is this again? So that's our uh, Laurel Lee uh, Dortmunder Export Lager. Uh, it is wow. Yeah, it's a German lager, obviously. Yeah. It's one of our. It was one of our uh, launch beers. We had ten beers when we opened, and that was one of them. It's one of the only ones that's still on okay. that is uh, that was there originally. Yeah. Um, so Dortmunder Export is one of my favorite lager styles. It was actually the first lager that I ever sat up and said, oh, this is really good. Hmm. Um, from Great Lakes, their yeah. Dortmunder Gold is wonderful. And so I wanted to kind of do something similar to that. It's not like a, a, an American Pilsner. Yeah. You know, it's got some body to it. Yeah. Uh, you get like grain up front and then it finishes a little sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not heavy. Yeah. It's only 5.5, five, so you're getting a lot of flavor, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of bang for your buck. The finish on that, I've never had a, a beer like that before, honestly. That's, yeah. It's kind of like a little, it finishes a little fruity at the end. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah, I like, I like this one a lot. Yeah. I started, um, I don't maybe two years ago. I think it was during the pandemic. I did a lot of dumb stuff during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. Not dumb stuff, but just waste of, uh, maybe not waste of time stuff. I took a real estate course. Oh, wow. Like, did that entire 70-hour, whatever it was. Never sat for the exam because exams weren't open. Um, oh. So, like, you couldn't, you the like, you had to go in person to take the exam to get your license, but they weren't open yet. By the time they did open back up, I was just, it was, like, a couple months later, and I never went and sat for it. Right. I also started the Cicerone course. And went oh. <laughs> I, did, I did something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Actually, it was before we opened this. Okay. Um, I have a friend in Buffalo mm-hmm. who is a BJCP judge. Okay. Um, and he set up this online course with three guys from Buffalo and then me. And it was, it was like a, it was, you know, it was a predecessor to Zoom. We would get yeah. on Google Video okay. every Monday night, 
and we would try every single different, it was, you know, weeks and months, and we would try every single style of beer in mm. the Beer Judge Certification Program. Wow. So I was making a lot of runs to uh, Beers of the World, and so we'd have a, that, and we'd have a theme for the night. It'd be like, yeah. we did an Australian beer night, hmm. where we got an example of sparkling ales from Australia and things like that. That's really cool. And then we'd drink them via... Um, not Zoom, but Google Video, yeah. and we'd talk about what we noticed. We had the little forms to fill out, hmm. and um, it it was it was really interesting. And I'm glad I never sat for any of the exams either. Yeah, but I'm glad I did it because hmm. I've had all these different styles of beer now, and yeah. I can you know, and there's nothing official or anything, yeah. but I can go. Oh yeah, I remember the Australian sparkling <laughs> ale. It's you know light and crisp and fruity and. Uh, and I can tell the difference between that and a, you know, a Dortmunder export lager. Yeah. And it's just interesting. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I was, when I first started, I was going through, you know, the first level, it's mostly history. Mm-hmm. And so I would then go, we have a, this great bottle shop in Syracuse called Branching Out Bottle Shop. <gasps> and so I would go there and just walk through the aisles and just look at beers, look for different styles. Be like, I just read about that. And I would grab it and then take it home and drink it and, be thinking about the history of what I just, okay. You know, especially, you know, a Bach, right. You know, Mm -hmm. so, uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I did it. I never, I don't think I took the test for the first level and, you know, cause that's all online. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that was, uh, two years ago. I haven't looked at it since (laughs) or thought about it until now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, so you, we were talking before the podcast started. So you you were, you've been home brewing for 10 years, right? Um, and well, tell us a little bit of the story. So you're home brewing. You're a teacher. Sure. Yeah, I'm a teacher during during the school year. Um, I got my first home brewing kit. God, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago. My wife gave it to me. Yeah. So this is all her fault. Um, <laughs> and because she told me, you drink a lot of beer. Why don't you make it? Yeah. So you know, we made it on my stove. I started with extract kits from like Northern yeah. Brewer and uh, different places. Uh, used to buy them at Sunset and. Uh, hydroponics store that also has beer stuff and yeah. beers of the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it was great, you know, and, and um, I only had a couple of explosions. So, <laughs> you know, it was a success. And um, it, it, it was just a nice, it was a lot of fun. But, you know, anybody who's ever homebrewed, the first time you drink one of your homebrewed beers and it doesn't give you botulism or make you <laughs> go blind or something, you think to yourself, okay, I want to do this, Yeah, you know. Like professionally, <laughs> and twelve years later, we started. Well, maybe ten years later, we started planning this place out. Wow. Um, yeah. So it has been a long, a long ride here. Yeah. Yeah. Ten years to, and then to this. What was that like when you're working with the owners, and you know, because you've obviously had this vision, you know, you've ideas for what you want your brewery to be like. So what was that like working with somebody else to kind of make that happen? Was that challenging? Was it kind of like, hey, listen, Nate, you're going to, you know what you're doing. You're going to take it and run with it. There's always been a, a, a lot of, you are the beer expert here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, make, we trust you to make the beer. Although there there's always, you know, little disagreements. Um they like to tell the story that when we opened, I was like, I'm never going to make a fruited beer. <laughs> I don't think I was that steadfast in it. Yeah. But, you know, and now here yeah, we are. It's summer and we have four fruited beers out of ten, <laughs> you know, which is fine. I got nothing against fruited beer. I really don't. Mm. But um, 
other than the fruited beer, it really does kind of match up with what I envisioned because hmm. I've always liked lots of different styles of beer. Yeah. And that's one of the things I, we, we kind of strive for here. Um, like, like I said, summers are a different animal. Yeah. You have a higher uh, rate of people coming in and you got to keep the lights on and you got to brew what you, you, they're going to buy, which is fruited sours and new England IPA, hmm. both styles that I enjoy yeah. just for the record. Um, but you know the fall is kind of my, that's because I get the maltier stuff, the brown ales, the porters, the stouts, yeah, the rye ales, as well as some fruited stuff. But um, yeah, I always kind of envisioned lots of different things because I wanted people to experience beer that they hadn't had before. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I think thanks to the craft beer revolution, it's been we've been able to do that. But you know, yeah. growing up, I remember my dad. Uh, drinking OV splits and you know things like that, and that was like the weird stuff because mm-hmm. he didn't like Budweiser. Oh really? Like, oh yeah, no. Because you no. Grew, you were saying you grew up in Baldwin's all right. Yeah, and there's a gigantic Anheuser Busch plant in Beeville. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> the 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 sign is so big that it faces away from my house, and it's miles and miles <laughs> away, but it would light up the sky red. Oh, it was awful. Yeah, it's a huge facility it's out there. It's enormous, yes. And it brings a lot of money in, and that's great. Yeah. But that's the only nice thing I can say about AB and Bev. <laughs> you were saying uh, how big the beer community is here in Rochester. Yeah, the Rochester beer scene has just exploded over the last decade. Hmm. I mean, uh, we're the only ones in Irondequoit, but okay. Webster has two or three. Yeah. Um, I mean, the city's got... Six, seven, eight, I don't even know. They're, they okay. keep popping up, which is wonderful. Yeah. We have a very vibrant, very mm. um, kind beer scene. We just had the Flower City Brewers Fest uh, two weeks ago, the okay. 19th. Yeah. So whatever, 10 days. And um, it was, it was, it's great. And it's held by one of the local, one of the classic Rochester breweries, Rohrbach. It's right in their backyard. Yeah. And... Um, uh, uh, there's just this wonderful sense of community. I'm on a 585 Brewers, you know, mailing list that, mm-hmm. you know, we will send out emails. Hey, does anybody have 50 extra pounds of cool. Pilsner? You know, we're, we're a little short. We need it. Or anybody have this, um, this yeast? We're out. Yeah. And I've contacted several breweries when we were low on yeast. Hmm. And they'll send them over and we'll send a check back. And That's cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful community. And, man, there's some good beer here. Yeah, there's some really good breweries. Mm. I don't want to name. I don't want to start naming ones, mostly because I think I'd forget some. Right. Because we have so many. But man, the scene here is great. The beer mm. here is great, and the people here are great. Yeah, I've always found that uh, brewers say the same things in Syracuse. They, you know, yeah. they um, don't look at each other necessarily as competitors. They've always pretty much said we're kind of we're 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 not they're not going after you know. Uh, Anheuser Busch and you know Miller, but right. they're hoping that they can just pull from that share, and not pull from each other. Uh, and they're always doing collabs with each other and making yep. beers together. So I've never met a uh, brewer in Syracuse that's ever said, "Man, I really hate that other craft one down the street." Right. Um, at least not publicly. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> uh, and I've always found that pretty interesting about the you know beer world because I don't. I've definitely know restaurant owners who get along and, you know, especially in downtown Syracuse, but you do notice more competition. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, mindset in restaurants than you do in the beer community. That's the vibe I've gotten. This is a different industry. Yeah. I think it has to do with the fact that 
you know, our IPAs here are different than the IPAs at Swiftwater. They're different at the I, than the IPAs at Knucklehead and K2, and you know? Yeah. It, and Three Heads. You can brew an IPA with the same hops, the same base ingredients, and it's going to be different. And so yeah. if somebody wants a certain beer, they're going to go there, and then they can come here and get a completely different style beer and mm. enjoy it. And then they can go somewhere else and get a different one. Hmm. And I think we all, for the most part enjoy each other's beer too yeah because we're fans of beer yeah you know and that's why the flower city thing is so nice there were 60 plus breweries Hmm. from all over the state and the country we had we had like single cut and we had Hmm. uh southern tier was up here you know Hmm. big ones yeah and then we had little three barrel operations from here in rochester yeah we had some syracuse ones yeah i think buried acorn was here for that yep i think at least one other syracuse one okay yeah well, how big is your system here? We have a five-barrel system, but we push six, six and a half through. Okay. Because our uh, fermenters are slightly oversized. Okay. Like most are. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so five barrels. And are you selling just on site, or do you do wholesale? We actually just sold our first kegs to um, this really cool place here in town called uh, Swillburger and the Playhouse. Okay. It's They make, like, cool hamburgers, hmm. and then they have arcade games. Oh, cool. And it's one of those places, and it's yeah. awesome. And they have an incredible tap lineup. Huh. And we just sold some of Laura Lee, actually. They, oh, nice. they asked us if we had any extra Laura Lee. Wow. And we did, because we do our lagers in 10-barrel batches. Okay. Um, because it takes so much longer to make a lager. Mm-hmm. We figure, let's make double. Yeah. And um, so we do those in 10s. Uh, two in the same day, which just makes for a very long brew day, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. And um, so, yeah, we, we've sold to them. And uh, that's other, other than that, we have four packs to go, crawlers to go, and that kind of thing. Yeah. What's it? Uh, well, do you have your legacy beers that are just on all year round? We have a couple. Okay. I'm glad you didn't use the F word, flagship, because that's <laughs> like a it's like a no-no in the industry. <laughs> or it was for years. I don't know if it still is. But I've never heard that before. I've just, for some reason, I've always just called it legacy beer. Yeah, I like legacy. That's yeah. really, that's, that's a nice spin. As an English teacher, I appreciate the connotation associated with that. Uh, we do. Um, Laura Lee is actually a legacy that's been here. Uh, Red Girl Rye, okay. which is very near and dear to my heart. If yeah. I can do a little aside and we'll yeah. come back to the legacy thing. So Red Girl Rye is named after my daughter, who's a redhead. Okay. At our old house before we moved. Um, we grew Chinook hops on the side of the house. Oh, wow. And she would help me water since she was, we have pictures of her as a little infant in my arms, you know, and I'm watering the hops with mm. her there. And then, so we'd water and tend. We did it for six, seven years. Wow. Uh, we'd water the hops, tend them, harvest them together, dry them, and then brew a beer with it. <laughs> uh, and we have pictures of, we have this, we had a six, six, you know, progression years of her as an infant with me with the spoon at the stove. And then over the years, she got bigger and bigger, and then she had the spoon. And so it's her beer. She's a redhead, and it's a regular rye ale. Okay. And a rye ale is, rye is a, you know, low color. Yeah. So I add a little bit of dark malt, just a hair, mm. to kind of try to try to dial it into her hair color. Huh. Yeah. So that's, that's one wild. of our legacies. That's in... um it's in cans as well okay. with a great picture of her on the front oh, that nice. my artist buddy did. Um, so those two are legacies. Um, I think uh, we have a we have a porter okay. that we often that we opened with named after my mom, actually. <laughs> um, but I, uh, 
it's it's tough because our beers have changed a lot since we've opened. Yeah. Um, most like most breweries, I think we've dialed it in and figured them out a lot more. Hmm. But those three, the porter, the lager, and Red Girl, we kind of nailed from the start. I think. Okay. So those have pretty much remained unchanged. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot in the past, especially when it comes to making beer, and that is how it, it how it evolves for somebody who just starts out in the industry yeah. to 5, 10, 15, however many years down the road. I mean, I can tell you, looking at our first podcast that I've done versus now episode 135, wow. it's completely different. Yeah. It's way better. It sounds better. It looks mm-hmm. better. Um, and I've thought about that in, in making beer. And I, I've just thought of like as a not so much as you the, you know, person making the beer and how that it, how you progress and get better at things and more efficient. But I've thought about it as like the drinker. You know, mm-hmm. I love craft beer, um, but I've never, and I've I've gone into some breweries and I've had like their legacy beer on one day or one batch and I'm like, Hey, this is great. And then I go back later and it's a different batch and it's not that great. Mm. And I've often wondered how that's, you know, how that's happening, how that's progressing and the regular customer, how they notice those things. I would say consistency from batch to batch is one of the toughest, toughest challenges I think we face. Um, Just because you might have a, a different malt you know, just slightly different malt yeah. or the conditions outside are different right. or, you know, you had to leave it in the tank for an extra day or hmm. the hops you got had a lower um, alpha acid. Mm-hmm. So it came out a little less hoppy or it had a higher alpha acid. So it's a lot hoppier, which hmm. we've had, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Red Girl Rye, actually, the, the one in uh, cans right now is a different batch than the one on tap. OK. And the uh, the one in cans is hoppier uh. just because the hops we got in. I didn't notice until after we'd added them <laughs> that they had a much higher alpha acid. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. But it worked out. It's, so it's the same beer, but just like a, like a different variation. Yeah. On, you know. Well, that's, I've, I've, years ago, I heard of it. There was a, a brewery who they had they just started out. The brewer was like first job ever making beer. And they made a beer and they messed it up so it had gone sour. And so they just pitched it as a new sour on uh-huh. the menu. <laughs> yep. Yep. That is, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to mention specifics, but it's not unheard of. I'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's uh, happy accidents. That's yeah. what we call them. Yeah. <laughs> we can still sell them. That's what we call mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, talk to me about the beer scene in Rochester. Do you notice, I mean, obviously, Rochester is, you know, what, twice as big as Syracuse, I think. So, do you notice that there's a lot of, like, true craft enthusiast customers that you get? Or is it just more people that are just here to drink? We have an interesting clientele here. And it's a clientele I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, we, have a, we have a, so we're the only brewery in Irondequoit. Okay. And... Irondequoitians are very, very proud to be Irondequoitians, as they should be. Hmm. And so they tend to patronize local establishments in full force. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that was something that got us through the pandemic. Hmm. We opened about six months before the world imploded, <laughs> which was scary at that time, yeah. you know? Like, you know, we, we, nobody quite knew what was going to happen to restaurants, to bra- to bars, to breweries. Mm. 
and people came out and supported us. That's our, great. our customers, our patrons came out and they, so we got a crawler machine about three weeks before the world imploded. <laughs> and like, as soon as that you know, March 13th, 20th hit, you couldn't find a crawler machine. Yeah. We got ours in mid to late February. And you had the cans for it. And we had the cans for it. Wow. And that saved us. Um, so, yeah, you know, at one point we were doing only food and beer to go. Because yeah. a really good kitchen, which is nice, too. Oh, cool. Um, but uh, we were doing beers, you know, crawlers to go, and people could curbside pickup. And people were really, really good about that. You know, once, twice a week, they'd get food and beer to go. Yeah. Um, and Bobby, the other brewer you met, yeah. he and I, a couple times a week for our mug club members, would deliver beer. Nice. They could call in and order crawlers, four packs, and he and I would jump in our cars and just drive all over Rondequoit, Rochester, anywhere. Yeah. And um, so our clientele here are really wonderful people, very loyal, mm -hmm. very passionate, and that's huge. And they're very local. That's cool. We also, we, we do have some, some beer nerds that come in, which is great, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say it's like a 70-30. Okay. Uh, you know, local, the regulars. Yeah. And then the beer nerds. Yeah. Are you... As a brewer, are you? Do you ever think about how to turn the average drinker into more of an enthusiast, or are you just that—that's my goal. That's your goal, uh, and, okay. and it's hard, yeah, because people get stuck in their ways as drinkers, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now to the craft beer industry. Is we have people who come in and are like, "All right, never been here. What's your New England IPA?" Hmm. And I'm like, "Well, we have that one and that one. <laughs> okay, I'll take one." Of each. Here's my thing about New England IPA. Keeping in mind that I like New England IPA a lot. Yeah. I don't drink it a ton anymore. Yeah. Because I drank it a lot for a while. <laughs> but here's my thing. If you make a New England IPA, it will sell. If you make a good New England IPA, someone will come in and have three. If you make a bad New England IPA, someone will come in and have two. <laughs> and, As, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so we, we do, we get, um, you have legacy beers. I think you also have legacy drinkers who come in and want, you know, they come in and they go, okay, whatever the new England is on this week, I'll take one of those, whatever your fruited sours are, I'll take a couple of those. Hmm. And that's great because they're coming in yeah. and, and then they're enjoying beer. And that's what this is all about. Right. I, I hope that people will come in and go, okay, you know what? Today I'm going to have a flight. I'll get my, my new England's. And I'll try a couple other things that I've never had. Yeah. And I'm hoping that they'll try something, a style that they've never had, and then go, ooh, ooh, that's a nice change of pace. Hmm. Next time I come in, I'm going to have two New Englands, but then I'm going to have a brown ale. Yeah. You know? That's and, interesting. And, and I, that's kind of my goal as a brewer is to hmm. introduce other people to styles. Yeah. And then hope that they latch onto them. Yeah. I mean, so I've been, you know, just drinking beer for a while, and... Now that I've, we were talking beforehand, you grew up in Baldwinsville, mm -hmm. and I'm now running the bar program at Abbott's, and bringing in, we've got, I think I have 12 different breweries represent, we only do cans, we don't do tap, but we do have 12 different breweries uh, from around New York, That's from great. Lake Placid to a lot in Syracuse. Um, we have a farm license, so there's only certain stuff I can get. Yep. But, and I think I have 17 different beers in there. And I love watching somebody look at cans and then me being able to direct them based on the story of the brewery or the beer. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a place back home called Underground Beer Lab. And oh, okay, yeah. I think maybe a, they've only been up for like two years, maybe a uh, year or two. I forget exactly. But and they're in the middle of like this industrial park. You would never know that there's a brewery back there. But they are putting out like the most sought after IPAs in Syracuse. Really? Yeah, without without question. Um, there's some of the mo- more expensive beers to buy. I think I pay. Uh, well, I won't say that on camera, uh, <laughs> but I pay the most for their cases. Yeah. Uh, I can only get a certain amount cause it's a small space. Like I can only get, I think two cases a week, but oh, they are, wow. yeah, but they are some of the best IPAs in Syracuse right. without question. And people just go crazy for them. So me being able to have that story and say to somebody, Hey, that's an expensive beer, but it's, you, it's hard to get. Mm-hmm. They just grab it or talking about, Hey, buried acorn, you know, just whatever it is. Having the story about the brewery is really interesting uh, to be able to sell the beer to people, yeah. to customers, and see somebody walk up who doesn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And especially, I, I find myself saying to them, well, what do you drink at home? You know, in the beginning, the first month, I would say this beer and that beer and go through like for seven minutes, the stories of each. And now I'm saying, what do you drink at home? Yeah. And then directing them. And that's been really interesting. Hmm. Um, most of them are saying Labatt. You know, yep. So. yep. Yeah. yeah. And we get that kind of drinker too, who come yeah. in and we've actually had people come in and go, you don't have Coors on tap. Like, <laughs> no man, no. And you can enjoy your Coors. I'm not going to yeah. shame you for enjoying your Coors, but you're at a brewery. Right. So we'll point them to this. Yeah. Um, hmm. Because it's a lager. It's not super offensive. It's not. Yeah. It's tasty, but it's also, I think it's pretty darn drinkable. Yeah, that's great. Um, but we just have our uh, our Pilsner about to come out. Okay. Go Pils. Yeah. We're, we're a Bill's backer yeah, for sure. brewery. And um, that's coming out for opening night. Okay, cool. Thursday, in yeah. a couple of weeks. Um, huh. And that's going to be kind of the try that. Because it's, you know, it's a, it's a German-style Pilsner as opposed to an American. But. Yeah, you can, you can fool somebody into thinking they're drinking a, an American Pilsner, probably. Yeah, that's but awesome. Huh. You mentioned stories, and I think that's interesting. Um, as an English teacher, obviously, yeah, I love stories, but I think people <laughs> like stories too, just in general. And I think it's nice to be able to tell a brewery story mm-hmm. and a beer story. And so many of our beers have good stories behind them and i like to tell customers you know like the one i told you about my daughter and my mom's beer and uh uh, i think people like that about uh, breweries you know it's it's a small part of what they like about breweries yeah but the fact that you can go and talk to somebody who made the beer or even a server who knows the story of the beer yeah it just kind of gives it another element or another level of warmth and comfort i think yeah i so i handle the social media and content creation for Willow Rock Brewing Company in Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it really is. It's it's one of the, we do it for like 10 different clients back home. Um, and most of them are restaurants. But they're probably one of the only accounts that I have where I can say, I know exactly kind of the personality and how to portray the personality through their social media. So we do a lot of stupid videos. We did one where um, uh, one of the owners, it's two owners and two brewers. So one of them's Kevin. The other one's Rockney. And we did one where Kevin was, it was like a Home Alone spoof. So Rockney and Robbie, the other two guys there, went down to the brewer's convention in Albany and left Kevin there because he drank 
he sat at the bar the night before and drank so much that he passed out and fell asleep at the bar and woke up late. So it was just a whole home Kevin's Home Alone spoof. Um, <laughs> and now we just do little dumb short videos mm-hmm. all the time. But uh, when we first started, when I first started with them, I was thinking to myself from like a wholesale I would DM other restaurants from their account, and I would say, hey, we'd love to get Willow Rock on tap there or get cans. And they would always want come out and do a tasting, come out and do a tasting. And, um, you know, that's obviously challenging, especially when you're the person that's making the beer, canning it, you know, usually staffing it in a small spot, then to go out and do, um, you know, tastings for everybody. So we just started putting out these videos going through beer by beer mm-hmm. and kind of telling that story. And that was the most interesting thing to me was hearing, okay, this is how they came up with this beer and, you know, came up, we're going to use this hop, we're going to, you know, put this label. It was really interesting to hear those stories behind each beer that they had. It gives it a personal connection. Yeah. Just another way to connect with another human being. Yeah. You know, and I think that's part of what beer is about. It's about sitting down with someone, sharing a drink and kind of it's, it's just another way to connect with people. And I think most people want that. Yeah. You know? So what would you say to someone who's listening, who's uh homebrewing their wife bought them a homebrew kit for <laughs> Christmas and they're three years in, uh, what would you, what's some, some advice or warnings that you might oh, give God. them? <laughs> um, advice would be, Enjoy and brew whatever you want to brew. Um, And upgrade your equipment if you can. You don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to go buy a Blickman, Mm. you know, or a, 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 yeah, you don't have to do anything fancy right away. But little by little, piece by piece, every little equipment improvement you can make Hmm. will make your beer better. That makes a big difference. I think it does. You, I mean, you could do a bare bones setup and make good beer. You could. Mm -hmm. You absolutely could. But uh, equipment improvements just make it a little easier. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I would also say brew what you like, but brew something you haven't ever had before. Okay. And give that a shot and see what's see what happens. Yeah. I know it, it reminds me of there's a couple of coffee roasters back in Syracuse who uh, Peaks Coffee is one of them, one of the better coffee roasters in Syracuse. Hmm. And they started by uh, with a popcorn, you know, air popper. And that's how they started oh, wow. roasting coffee. No way. Yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah, you can do it with a you could do it with a cast iron skillet if you wanted to, but air poppers work, and obviously not as well as if you're on a professional machine. Right. Um, but then I also and I know brewing beer is completely different from photography. But there's a photographer in Syracuse, one of the best hmm. photographers in Syracuse, and she uses the most basic camera and lens imaginable versus that's like maybe a thousand dollars versus my seven thousand dollars setup and i am nowhere as near as talented <laughs> as she is <laughs> and she has far worse equipment uh jess if you're watching which i know you're not but <laughs> i've said it before you're the best uh yeah so that's pretty interesting to hear you know upgrade the equipment if you can yeah again i, I don't want to stress you know right. e- e- equipment over know-how and equipment over passion yeah but it just makes things easier like, yeah Brewing on this, mm-hmm. it was a challenge getting to understand how all this worked as opposed to, you know, a uh, converted cooler and a giant pot on my stove and a big <laughs> spoon. Yeah. But, um, man, I, for, for example, temperature control. All yeah. of our tanks are glycol. Yeah. You know, oh, 
my God. <laughs> I remember just having to like move my fermenter to different parts of the basement because it might be too hot in that area or too cold. And yeah. Oh, it was such a pain in the butt. How did that happen when you first opened here and had the equipment? Did you... I opened a restaurant in April, mm. and I've got partners, and we exist inside of another restaurant. So I'm very, very fortunate, and everything was in place. But we spent four months testing out it's we're a fried chicken sandwich spot we spent four months and their catering kitchen trying to figure out and i spent a month at home we're going to do a chicken breast a chicken thigh are we mm -hmm. going to cut the chicken breast how are we going to bread it what's the wet batter are we going to let it brine? you know going back and yeah. forth and that cost us you know five dollars each time right when you're moving in here <laughs> yeah so um when we decided to do this um, we went out and got like this, it was called a Pico brew system. It was essentially like a Keurig for beer, kind of. Mm. That's oversimplifying it. Basically, I wrote my recipes, I got them into a computer, and I, it was a machine where you would add the grain, it would mash for you, okay. added your hops, it'll go, push the, the wort through the hops. And the reason we got that was so that I could say, okay, good, this is the recipe, and I could do, hmm. do it the same way each time and change little tiny things. And it made like two gallons. So okay. it was enough to like bring over to I-square and pour. We poured for community oh, cool. people. You know, just, um, excuse me. But um, the idea was change little things each time and see how it affects the overall beer without the worry about human error. Yeah. Because, you know, when you... When you homebrew, you have to have beer while you're doing it, right. or it doesn't come out at all. Yeah. And sometimes you have too much beer and forget to add hops or forget to add other adjuncts during the brew, yeah. and then your beer's ruined. Hmm. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> Very responsible. But this way, there was no room for human error because there was no human involved. Yeah. It wasn't fun. Yeah. Brew days were boring as hell. <laughs> you loaded stuff and you pressed a button and walked away. Yeah. It was boring as hell, but <laughs> it, was, it helped me kind of control things. Yeah. And it kind of pulled me away from being completely hands-on, mm -hmm. you know, whereas um, when we got over here, it's a big jump from five barrels or five gallons to five barrels. Yeah. But the company that we got all of our equipment from sent out three guys. They sent one out to set the, the uh, equipment up. Hmm. Then they sent a guy out to do the electrical uh, wiring and yeah. all that. And then they sent a guy out to brew our first two or three beers with us. Wow. Which was huge. Yeah. Great guy, Jeremy King. He came out, um, still talk with him, still text with him about beer. Great huh. guy. He came out for our two-year anniversary party. Oh, that's cool. Which is wild, from uh, Michigan, I think. Wow. Or Minnesota. Yeah, he flew out. But um, so Jeremy stayed with us for our first couple of brews and basically did the dope slap. No, dummy, you're not supposed to be doing that right <laughs> now. No, you pressed the wrong button. No, you know. You got to close the drain so you're not <laughs> dumping your beer down the drain. Um, did kind of that. And so that was really helpful huh. because it was somebody who knew what the hell they were doing because Bobby and I didn't yeah. at that point on this scale, you know. So uh, that was kind of the, the, the – there were still very big concerns for me about <laughs> scaling up and figuring out how to not screw up a hundred and, you know – 80 <laughs> gallons of beer because <laughs> you screw up five gallons at home oh well yeah you put it on tap anyway and suffer through it yeah but you screw up <laughs> 150 <laughs> gallons here and it's not as easy to just kind of yeah dump it you know 
I've said this about um, the movie Chef, and now, unfortunately, as much as I love the show, and I, I watched the entire season three times, The Bear. Oh, I've heard good things. It's a great show, but uh, and I've heard some industry people, I've talked to some restaurant owners who they're like, I loved that, and then they started making Italian beef sandwiches. And right. I've <laughs> talked to other restaurant owners who are like, I don't want to watch what I do every single day. Uh, because it is very... That show is very exactly how it's, you know, how the restaurant is um, to a certain extent. Uh, As much as I love the movie Chef, unfortunately, it put in a wave of people romanticizing the industry. And I'm going to go out there and start a restaurant and open a food truck. And now the bear is going to do the same freaking thing for the next however many years. There really isn't anything like that for brewers, is there? I mean, the only thing there's a there was a show on Hulu uh a few years back four or five six years ago and it was like uh the entire season it was like every episode was a different different story human Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. um and one of them was these two brothers in chicago who they're one of them's a home brewer and you know and his detached garage and his friends are always coming over Mm -hmm. and getting growlers and they love the beer and then they decide on a whim we're going to open a brewery and then there's a second episode of them now on this massive brewery uh, a few years later. Um, other than that, I don't really think there's much that really romanticizes. No, there was um, a really nice PBS series, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was called. But it was something about New York beer. And they mm. went all over the state and went to different breweries okay. and talked to the brewers and did that, you know, did their stories. They did one up here, I think at Three Heads. Okay. They did a couple of Rochester or Western New York ones. Okay. Um, and that was really nice. They did a nice job with that. But no, there's, there really isn't much about it, which is yeah. funny now that you think about it because uh, it's such a big part of American culture at this yeah. point. It really is. Although I know it's not national. I know there are pockets. Like the East Coast is real big. Yeah. New York is huge. California is obviously big. Colorado. Yeah. Um, Pennsylvania has a ton of breweries. Do they? Oh, uh, yeah. Huh. There was, yeah, I mean, we've, I've got family in Iowa. We've traveled uh, a couple times a year. And with the exception of there was one bar we went to in the airport that only served local products. So they only had local beers on tap, but there was only they had like twelve taps, but it was only two breweries because there just weren't that many in yeah. that area. Moline was that the the airport? I th- uh, no, so we flew into uh, Des Moines. Mm. I don't know which air what the name of that airport is, but yeah, yeah I don't either. My yeah. parents are both from Iowa. Oh, really? Yeah, so I know it pretty well. Okay, my in laws are originally side. from there, so okay. they're in um, massive farmers. That whole side oh, of the family, they're yep. they're in Baxter. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and so we were there last September, and then we were just there again, I think, in the spring for a wedding. But we were in, uh, I forget the city we went to, close to like an hour and a half away from Baxter. But, uh, yeah, Iowa is a different sort of place. It is a very different <laughs> place. I love Iowa. I really do. Yeah. But and, and but I think that's that's an interesting thing to acknowledge is that we're kind of right now – on the East Coast, or at least mm. Northeast, yeah, we're in one of the breadbaskets for breweries. Yeah. You know, this is the one of the high intensity zones. Yeah, and it's not like that all over. No, and so we, I think we have a little bit of a like a distorted, yeah, view of the industry. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, my Iowa relatives drink Bud. Yeah, you know. Oh, that's surprising. So my mine only drink Bush. Oh, okay, they yeah, 
You yeah. will not find them with a Bud Light anywhere in that. My father-in-law, who they live in uh, Boonville, New York, um, which is just at the base of the Adirondacks, they all drink Bud Light. Uh, but if you're in Iowa, it's Bush. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, sh- I should clarify to any of my relatives <laughs> who are listening or watching um, who don't drink that you know <laughs> i got uncles and cousins who drink guinness we're an irish family so we drink a lot of guinness yeah. um and they also drink ibc my dad's actually doing a road trip out to visit his brother and sister and he was up here last weekend yeah. loading up on Nirondequoi beer company oh, beer nice. oh yeah he's our brand <laughs> ambassador for the midwest that's great but uh, but it is a very different uh world out there in terms of craft beer oh yeah for sure and uh i mean against the grain is out there i know they have some yeah. nice stuff um but hmm. it, it, it's, I think sometimes we kind of overblow it yeah. as brewers in the area. You know, it's it. We're prone. I think as an industry, we're prone to exaggeration and yeah, um, passion. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so I would just want to one of the last things I want to ask you is what's your all's plan or thoughts for distribution? I know you said you just started kind of selling your first uh, kegs. Is that something that there's like a ten year plan to start? you know, massive distribution or no? No, I don't think so. Um, we like being a local brewery. We like being our, our community's local brewery. And we want people to come here. So yeah. then they buy food and more beer. But, um, you know, there are places that are doing the distribution thing and some of them are just killing it on it. We have a couple right here in Rochester that are yeah. getting big and big and big and they're just planning to get bigger. Yeah. And that's great. I don't think that's our model. That's you cool. know, um, as a teacher... You know, I, I, it's it, it's tough. It's wonderful. I have our other brewer, Bobby, mm-hmm. is great. Uh, I trust him implicitly. He does a great job. So during the school year, we we brew probably twice a week. Okay. Um, and I come over after school. I get here about four o'clock, and we leave midnight. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And then he'll brew again by himself later in the week. Usually Thursday, and I'll come over after school for a few hours to help him wrap things up. Yeah. Um, cause he can start earlier on those days Yeah, cause I don't have to, I don't have to be here, but he's right. kind and was like, yeah, I know you want to brew. So <laughs> come over, we'll stay all night. We get pizza and watch football That's and, cool. or I guess not football on Tuesdays, but we used to brew Monday. So yeah. we used to watch Monday. There football. you go. But anyway, um, and so with my schedule being what it is I, and, and having a five barrel system, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's tough to keep up with the demand here. We're, yeah. At, at times, we're brewing two or three times a week to mm. try and just keep up with the demand, you know, early summer especially. Really? This past summer, the early summer, it was post-pandemic. Well, yeah. post. Right. Yeah, hopefully post-pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I think people were just itching. You yeah. know, spring, the nice weather hit, and people were like, we can come out, and we don't have to wear masks, yeah. and we can sit with our friends and stand. And I think, uh, I think people were very excited yeah. And are still excited. It's, you know, a nice time. But, hmm. um, no, I think we're happy. I say this now and then, you know, <laughs> in, in five months we're going to announce that we're deciding. <laughs> yeah. you know, but, uh, which I don't think it'll happen. Yeah. I like being this size. Yeah. I mean, I could have done with a seven-barrel system. Yeah. Just, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I don't foresee us distributing big. Yeah. Um, it's a pain in the ass. It is. It is a pain in the ass. That's the problem is that when you're <laughs> when you're brewing for distribution, you're brewing for distribution. Yeah. A couple places in town I uh, I won't mention cuz they're doing a great job with it. Yeah. They're they're doing a better job with it than I think I could. 
You know, yeah. they have bigger systems, so like three, you know, three fifths, sixty percent of their product goes to the distributor yeah. to send out to Wegmans and bars. And right. Like, and if you're not doing a massive distribution, then it's not worth it. Um, I try mm-hmm. to have these conversations a lot with. Uh, um, I have a lot of these conversations with my buddy Tim from Buried Acorn off camera. And mm-hmm. we did one where we, tr- we were trying to talk a lot about it on camera. But it's challenging because you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot um, because he does a lot of distribution. Um, uh, not as much as he used to, but still does a lot. And uh, it, it is interesting to see breweries who five years ago opened and said, all right, we're going to be in every restaurant. We're going to be in every grocery store with cans and we're just going to massively distribute everywhere. And then today they've realized, Oh, the money is in on-site sales. Mm-hmm. So like Barrett Acorn now just opened their third tap room in Syracuse. Wow. Really? Yeah. So he, well, he, second in Syracuse, but their third. So they have their original, their brew house, small tap room location mm-hmm. over by the mall. And then they just opened up one downtown, which now also has a kitchen oh. and it's just a lot prettier, a lot bigger. Um, and then they've got like sort of a, a beer counter, so to speak, at the spot down in Ithaca. Oh, yeah. Huh. Um, so it's been uh, it's just been interesting to see the breweries that are like, okay, we have to we're gonna make we're not gonna make our money by getting it everywhere we can wholesale. We're gonna make our money from on site sales, right? You know. So yeah. I think there's a real risk of getting in over your head yes. with distributors, you know. And I and I get it. It's. Yeah. Who doesn't want all their stuff, you know, who doesn't want to be able to walk in any bar in your own city or the surrounding metropolitan areas and pull one of your own beers? Yeah. Like um, Bobby and I haven't gotten into uh, uh, Playhouse Swillburger yet to have a Laura Lee. Yeah. But that's going to feel cool as hell. Yeah, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but but you have to be careful. Yeah. You really do. And I, I now nah, I'm I'm much more content just <laughs> bellying up to the bar here and getting a beer. My there you go. Yeah. Well, Nate, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. And, uh, Thanks for coming down. up. Yeah, of course. And uh, for everybody who's watching, listening, if you're out here in Rochester, Onicoy, make sure you stop out, get a beer. Sounds good to me. Thanks, man. Cheers. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. If you want to stay connected to Eat Local New York, then make sure that you visit us online at eatlocalnewyork.com. And there you can find our blogs, find the podcast. You can also pick up an Eat Local New York card, which will save you $5 at over 160 participating locations all across New York State. And yeah, new cards coming out in about a month. So we're really excited about that. All right. Well, hope you have a great day and we're going to catch you next week back here on the Eat Local New York podcast.